Awesome. We're going to hopefully get into part two tonight. There's a, you know, like a, a little controversy in the early church, and it was most of the people getting saved, great majority of them were, were Jews who realized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, Yeshua, and that was correct. And so they continued for all intents and purposes of what, what scholars describe them as law compliant. And then Gentiles began to get born again, which is probably most of the people in this room. And um, so now some of the, the, the Jewish believing people are saying, hey, they should be practicing like we do. They should continue to practice the feast. And so they meet to have this uh, council and the elders are there and they listen to different testimonies. And then James, the brother of Jesus, which is really fascinating because apparently he is not a follower of Jesus during his lifetime. Uh, I, I could just speculate about some of the issues that James probably had that he probably went to therapy for. <laughs> you're like, you know, you're sitting in the chair that first day of therapy, so what's your problem? My brother's perfect. <laughs> really, it can't be that bad. No, no, he's perfect. And my parents always compare me to him, you know. <laughs> But they hear some discussion, and they don't vote. That's American. Um, it's true. Just tell you that, you know. And he says, no, this is that which Amos spoke, that in the last days, and he quotes in, in, uh, a prophecy by Amos, that in the last days, God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And there's a, a lot of different, I believe, implications to that or interpretations of what that looks like. But if he's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, he's going to need people like David. And Jesus is actually in the lineage of David. He is referred to as the son of David, which is fascinating to me. And then the throne that he's going to sit on in Jerusalem, not Washington, D.C., and judge nations is the throne of David. And I don't fully... I want to suggest I understand all the implications of that, but one thing I do know is that God is unafraid to identify with weak people. And um, so we have a whole series called Survey into the Life of David. There's an interesting statement that David makes after he's been king at least five years, and it's this, it's, and then David perceived that he was king. And I think that's fascinating because he's been king for five years and he finally realizes the prophetic fulfillment of God's call or assignment, his major assignment in life, he's actually walking in. And I've learned that faith is what we believe about God, but identity is what we believe God says about us, which is just as important. And uh, one of the characteristics of um, a religious spirit is passivity and an inability to receive what God says you are. And it's really tolerated because people use scriptures to, to tolerate it. So anyway, so we have a whole series on the life of David. And then uh, about four years ago, I wrote my first book. And uh, what God wants to do in the life of, uh, in, in the world actually, uh, what he does in individuals or what he makes possible for individuals he desires to do to, for cities, regions, and nations. If you, if you led somebody to the Lord tonight, hopefully you could lead them to the Lord in a, in a matter of moments. And, you know, you know, you lead them to the Lord, they're born again now, and they go, well, you know, I got this 
really bad pain in my back, and uh, it's kept me from working for, you know, seven years, you know, hopefully you wouldn't go, well, no, just be happy you're born again. <laughs> go to church tomorrow, you know. Hopefully you can go, hey, let's, let's get rid of that pain so you can get a job, you know. And then they're like, well, you know, I really, everyone in my family battles depression. I'm really oppressed in my mind. I have trouble sleeping at night. Hopefully you would say, well, wait, wait for your moment. At some point it'll be the will of God to set you free. No, you go, no, God can fix that. So every, you know, like anything wrong with the individual, you know, he wants to set you free. God cannot put sickness on people. God cannot curse people with sickness and disease because it's a violation of who he is. There's a difference, and I mentioned this last night. When he mentions the blessings that are connected with the covenant to the nation of Israel, he actually said it from two different mountains overlooking, I was overlooking at actually in May when I was there, the promised land, because I believe one of the things he's doing is he's trying to make it absolutely clear where life comes from and where death comes from. And death never comes from God. The only person that God ever put sickness on was Jesus, so you would never have to live in it. So get that one real straight. I know we, you know, well, you, you know, in his sovereignty, he just does it for some. I'm sorry, I don't see that. You can, anyway, God can work with any hand, but... Uh, it, it just, it's an overriding theme of scripture that in God is life and outside of life is destruction. Why don't we just lift our hands. Father, tonight we just thank you. <laughs> we thank you. We thank you because in you is life and you are the life of men. And you came to give humanity not just life, but abundant life. Thank you for... Uh, the angel of revelation that's here tonight, thank you for an open heaven. We just declare this, this Bethel, this is the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Open up your word to us tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in this region. We just declare that this is a city set on a hill. A light that cannot be hidden. Give people ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, without you, you and I know I can't do a whole lot, but with you, we can just do everything you've called us to do here tonight. I trust you, Lord, and we ask again for words from heaven. Let miracles take place all across this room. Cause us uh, to see and to apply what you want us to hear tonight. You said your people perish not for a lack of information, but a, a lack of revelation. So we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of uh, counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Unveil Jesus. Unveil the kingdom of God. Teach us your ways. We want to know the operation of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. There's a reason I just asked who was here last night, because I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to go back into, I'll just share, I won't share the whole thing of what I shared last night, just some of the word the Lord shared for me for this season. 
But um, the Lord highlighted for me one particular word, and then we, we, were, we were discussing some of the aspects of uh, fivefold ministry and God's gifts to the church and what that looked like. And uh, I believe the Lord wants us to look tonight some of what the operation of that looks like in the life of an early church. But I want to reiterate this part of the Lord saying this. The Lord uh, says that messengers will be running together in this season is what he desires. And then I saw a map of the United States and God connecting messengers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers moving together as one in the body of Christ to form one river and one sound in the earth. This will be a season of one Sound, and this will be a season of divine connection in the body of Christ. And one of the things that on an individual level that I've come to know is that you, you, will, you will never express the, or maximize God's purpose without connecting with the right people in the body of Christ and the people God has called you to walk with. It's not that you connect with everyone, but the Lord wants to give you covenant relationships and family type relationships to encourage you to push you to go where God wants you to go and so from that place we went to Ephesians 4 so if you want to turn there tonight Ephesians the fourth chapter verse 1 Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and God, the Father of us all, who is above all and through all. Notice he says through all and in you all. And notice that the expression of the body does not come except through the corporate person. And one of the things we emphasized last night was that, and you'll see here that Jesus' gifts from conquering hell, death, and the grave is one of the gifts he gives to the church is the fivefold ministry. And I also want to emphasize that Jesus obviously expressed all five offices when he walked the earth. He was an apostle because he pioneered the reintroduction of the kingdom of God into the earth. He went forth to bring forth that, that he, to reintroduce the kingdom of God to humanity. He was a teacher. Notice, too, he was not a teacher trained by the schools of his day. He taught out of the, the, the relationship he had with the Father. He actually says in John 8, he learned things. I want to suggest if Jesus learned some things, so do you. The most challenging people in the body of Christ are the people that we heard that. You might have heard it, but you're definitely not applying or else the world would be a different place. Information, I've learned, does not change people. It's revealed knowledge, revealed knowledge that is apprehended by faith and that it is practiced on an ongoing basis. Knowing the Hebrew and Greek does not change the world. 
Might be nice information, not opposed to it. You should know the background of certain things, but those things must be practically expressed. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And you don't learn about truth unless it is practiced truth. How many know this? I, I know this to be true on many levels. You know, you, uh, you, you know, you begin to pray for the sick or you begin to move prophetically. And, and it's only out of doing that you learn how that flows and operates through your life. And the dangerous part is when you cease to continue to grow and develop as a disciple, you will often be, you will cease to be relevant or you'll cease to apprehend all the truth that God wants you to express in that particular area of your life. And then you begin to live out of principle and, and that becomes very dangerous. You'll see it, uh, you see this in uh, Mark, the second chapter. It's really interesting exchange there because uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees come. And notice that's really interesting because it's the disciples of John and the Pharisees. And they come to Jesus. And uh, who are the disciples of John? There, are, there were people who, were not, who did not have an inability to hear the voice of God. They actually, most people rejected John, but when they saw John, they go, that guy, he's saying something he is, that is of the Lord, and he is preparing us to receive something from God. A large people rejected it. So these are people who were on the cutting edge of what God was doing in the earth. They were his disciples, and then the Pharisees, interesting group. So they come together, and they ask Jesus, how come your disciples are not fasting? Think about it. We realize that Jesus in this, in this setting is not teaching against fasting but he is teaching against a, a practice that is out of context with the season that it's in. On the outside, and here's really interesting, you can be practicing something and it can be right biblically, but in the wrong season of what God has for you. And as there's a human tendency to emphasize what we like in practice instead of embracing what God is doing in a season. You know, I know some people, they don't think it's a good meeting until everyone falls down. Other people, it's not a good meeting. They're like, why, why didn't hear any preacher? No, no, it's like God didn't want to do that in the meeting. That's also part of the expression of the five-fold ministry. I've learned that. One of the things I, I lean into the Lord, especially the many meetings I do, I always ask, what is the purpose of what you're emphasizing in this meeting? I love the expression, God's expression through different people. Uh, a few months ago, we, we, brought, we, we had a, a great teacher in. I know teachers don't want to listen to an hour of worship. How long you need? How much time can you give me? Some other people, they like an hour and a half of worship. They want to they get in the flow, the meeting. It's, it's just how God operates through them. The important thing is that we appreciate the expression that God brings through every one of them and not fall in love with one expression. So they ask him this question, how come they're not fasting? And he goes, the, uh, the friends of the bridegroom cannot fast right now. He goes, guys, this is a celebration. You're practicing the same thing. You're practicing a good thing, but it's the wrong season for that. When the, when the bridegroom goes, he goes, then the friends of the bridegroom will have a different season. It's fascinating. He goes, and then he gives that great, he gives that great analogy. He goes, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
And it's, it's a picture of how he wants to teach us. He teaches us from revealed knowledge. Uh, uh, Isaiah, truth upon truth, precept upon precept. See, what you, what, a, a core value you should live with as a disciple is that before you came into the kingdom, you were completely blind. And what he wants to do is teach you to open your eyes. He wants to open your eyes, but when you cease not to work in the continuum of truth, you stay blind fully to what God wants you to see. Really, really important stuff there. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Notice he doesn't say old wine is irrelevant. He just says the new wines, the new wineskin can hold the old and the new. So it's precept upon precept upon precept upon precept upon precept. One of the things Jesus teaches about the ministry of Jesus, he says it's good news to open the eyes of the blind. Open your eyes. Then Paul prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to open the eyes of your understanding. And then he teaches us in Matthew 16, this exchange with Peter. This exchange with Peter. What is the exchange with Peter? He says, he, 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 who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. He, and then he goes, but who do you say I am? He said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, you nailed that one, buddy. You good, you good. He goes, and then he teaches him. He teaches him how he taught Adam. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What's he saying? This is not discerned from the realm of the soul. This is revealed knowledge. And then he says, I will build my church. I believe he's making a theological statement. He's not only saying I'm going to build it on that statement. He said, but I will build, I will teach my church through revealed knowledge. But catch, the, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's an accident because the very next story, Peter just got an A plus on that assignment in God. This is the danger. The danger is to believe just because you're strong in one area, you understand other areas. The very next story, like, like so G, Peter's got, he's nailed this part. Oh, got that one right. And then Jesus, as normally he does, he starts going, you know, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be delivered. And Peter's like, this is not the idea of the kingdom. What's, he, what, what, what's happening? Peter's wrong thinking is being exposed. He's like, this is not what I wanted. They've been oppressing us. I'm going to be in your administration. We're going to get back at those people who are oppressing us. I'm going to be in the cabinet. We're going to take over. You said kingdom. Then he rebukes Jesus. It's funny stuff. And what does he tell him? He goes, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not mindful of the things of God. What's he telling him? In one area, you're doing really well, man. You just hit that one out of the park. But this other area, it's not lining up with your stupidity. So you can be strong in one area. You can understand something. You can operate. There's an arrogance sometimes that comes in that we think because we have fruit in one area, we think that we have it all correct in every other area. So there has to be an approach of humility where we know that's why he teaches us what's one of the characteristics of the kingdom. 
unless one is converted. He actually uses the word converted. Unless your posture is like a child, you cannot receive the kingdom of God. I wasn't planning on saying all that. But, so he tells them, the friends of the bridegroom cannot, can, they're, they're not, this is not the season for that. He said, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. What's he telling them? He goes, he's basically telling them in a really nice way, your behavior and your thinking is not congruent with the season that we're in. So here's the sad part about that. A great majority of the Jewish people reject Jesus the Messiah. So what happens is because Jesus the Yeshua was always supposed to be the hope of Israel. Progressive truth. Since they didn't get the answer, they became irrelevant to what God is doing in the earth. I am a believer in Jewish roots. I believe in that. I believe that God still has covenant with Israel. But every form of Judaism, except Messianic Judaism, who's also got its challenges, but we're working on that, amen. But every form of Judaism, because they're the root. Interesting, we went, we, you know, early church, the Jews wanted the Gentiles to become Jews. Now, we want the Jews to be Gentiles. But that's a different story. But there's no form of Judaism in the earth except Messianic Judaism that is relevant. Every other form is pagan and aberrant because they didn't progress in truth. That's the danger of not progressing in the things of the Lord. So where you cease to grow in truth, where you cease to just, I like this, I like this place right here. There's... The, I've learned with the Lord, there is no, there is no stagnation. Now you can pull the, you can, you know, it's not, not even a, mission, a matter of going to heaven. You're going to heaven if Jesus is Lord, but you will cease to grow in that area. Even more scary though, you run the danger of becoming really religious in that area. What's, what's, what's the way, one of the ways you become religious? And people are like, oh, they're Catholics are religious. No, I've, you know, you can have religious spirit in anything. The danger is making a principle in God the high point of God. Thank God some of the disciples of John the Baptist got it right. But unless you're growing, you will cease to become relevant in the things of God. And there's a danger, especially when God is moving, especially when God is expressing itself, especially when we're seeing fruit in God. There's a danger in thinking, this is it. And it's always this continuum of truth that God wants to give us. Doesn't obviously, when we talk about revelation, doesn't go beyond the word but it is an expression and a practice of the word that actually makes sense and makes us relevant to the world around us. I wasn't planning on saying all that, but I'm right on that. So he teaches us through this revealed knowledge, not information and intellectual apprehension. God is not opposed to your intellect. Please think. Please think about the person you marry. <laughs> Please do. 
but your intellect is not sufficient to guide you into what God has for you. Moving right along. Who is above all and through all and in you all. Who is above all, through all, and in you all. So it's the corporate representation that accurately represents Jesus to the world. I've been meditating on this story from the book of Acts for a while now. I don't know if you're there. You just like keep reading it. You're like, oh, that's really good. Um, Saul is on his way to persecute believers. He thinks he's doing God a favor by persecuting believers. And the Holy Spirit knocks him down, because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. That's American, too. You know, like, just calm and safe space, you know. I don't want the devil to be safe in our gatherings. He knocks him down, and Jesus starts speaking to him. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a fascinating question. Why are you persecuting me? And I thought, I was reading this, I don't know, six, seven months ago, and I thought, wait, Jesus is not on the earth. But Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? So apparently... If you persecute someone who's in Christ, it's like you're touching Jesus. Now, yeah, we know that. We're representatives of Hopefully we know that one. The part that really got me is if I don't grow as a disciple, I'm the only Jesus someone sees. So when I'm misrepresenting him, they're failing to see the beauty of who Jesus is. That's the big responsibility right there. And he's got a way of saying it. He goes, when you do it to the least of a brethren, it's like you're doing it to me. That's why he tells us, do your work as unto the Lord. So when you go to work, you're not working for the man. And they just don't appreciate me. They're taking advantage of us. The world will try and make you a victim. So you can't think like God and be a blessing that you're supposed to be. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. I love that. And he gave gifts unto men. Verse 9. Now this he who ascended, what does this mean? He also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That he might fill all things. So he said last night, he, uh, obviously Paul is finding significance in Psalm 68. The picture in Psalm 68 is when David would win victories. He would put the, the Ark of the Covenant on the mountain and then distribute spoils to his men. And so everyone could see the distribution of spoils from his victory. So he's telling us that Jesus' death, going to hell, coming out of hell, resurrecting, and winning victory, part of that victory is he gave these gifts 
to men, Psalm 68 says that he might fill all things. And he says, when I give you these gifts to teach you to be like me, I, you, I'm doing it for the purpose of filling the earth with, peop- with, the, with the knowledge of who I am. And he himself, who's himself, Jesus, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. So what does that mean? Every person is in ministry. Your ministry might be as an art teacher. My ministry might be as an entrepreneur. But God is your boss and God is your source. By the way, he's unlimited. So the purpose of the fivefold ministry is not to draw people to themselves. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is to uh, teach and equip people to add grace in their life. So every believer should have an apostolic edge. Every believer should have a prophetic edge. Every believer should have a teaching, pastoral edge. All these graces should be operating. If not, somewhere in the life of the believer, they're deficient in a certain way. They're deficient in the gifts that God wants to give them. And we said that personhood never precedes purpose, which is really important. That the goal of the fivefold ministry is not to make more people like them, but to release a grace that from their life they can run and add that to them. Because I think it's one of the things that God really is passionate about, is he's passionate about people uh, people coming into who God created them to be. You have different tastes. You have different likes than I do. So the goal of God, and I think sometimes one of the bends of the people of God is that after a while, and, and there's nothing wrong, I, I said this last night, with people having a certain DNA of the church, they're part of all those things, but one of the challenges is sometimes we make everyone like us. That's weird. For the equipping, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of body of Christ, verse 13, really important, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Two things that has not happened is why we still need these gifts in the church. Till we come to the unity of faith and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So last night we looked at, we defined what an, an apostle was, but we also looked at what some characteristics of those were in the life of the believer. And part of, uh, of what apostolic grace maybe looks, obviously you can go a lot of different ways, but we listed a few, but part of the purpose of these gifts is to execute the, execute the victory that Jesus won on the cross. He tells us in in Colossians through Paul again, having disarmed principalities, powers, and made a public spectacle of them, uh, triumphing over them in it. So he says he's disarmed principalities and powers. We know by experience that darkness and evil still exist in this world. Because he won the victory, but he has given us the ability to walk out that victory. And one of the ways he does it is through the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the work is still incomplete. 
We said one of the characteristics of apostolic uh, people is they have a profound sense of calling and purpose. Jesus said to them, Peace I give you, as the Father has sent me, also I send you. Second characteristic, we said, was wisdom to operate in the timing and the seasons of God. And the third, we said, advances the kingdom of God. And we uh, define the office of a prophet. We said uh, uh, one of the characteristics of prophetic people is that friends of God, God talks to his friends. Muslims have a deep desire for a God who talks to them. I want to talk to God. You're talking to the wrong God. Not anti-Muslim. I'm anti-stupid. <laughs> but Muslims have a deep desire to talk to God. Their God does not talk to them. There's no such thing as a personal God in Allah. And so many believers don't talk to God. Second thing is, hears, knows, and honors the voice of God. Prophetic people love the voice of God. They love, they love scripture. They love the rhema word. They want to hear what God wants to say. Final one, understands uh, they, they are, their role as a royal priesthood. We are the voice of God. The people of God are to be the voice of God in the earth. Yes. And I want to look, finally got there. I want to look at uh, Genesis, the first chapter, because I think it makes sense in context to what we'll look at a little bit tonight. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Malachi 3, verse 6, said, it make, God makes this statement. He say, I am God and I do not change. So what God originally intended in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, he has not changed his desire and how he relates to humanity. The things he says and the, things, and the way he has acted in history is still in effect today. The reason, we'll see here in a minute, Jesus has to come out as a man is because he has given man authority in the earth. So the only way he can reintroduce his, his original intent is to send Jesus as a man. Because he is so committed to his word, he cannot violate his word when he gives him dominion over the earth. That's why Jesus, we know, comes fully God, fully man, but chooses to, to, to live within the limitations of humanity. That's a beautiful Savior. And Jesus, we said last night, was the first man since Adam to express God's original intent. So verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Why should we treat people kindly? Why should we be Jesus to people? Because everyone is created in the image of God. Only religion in the world that recognizes the dignity of all people. Hinduism does not recognize the dignity of all people. That's why you just throw a child away, especially if you're poor, especially if it's a girl. Because it's just it's more problems for you, and it's not made in the image of God. And plus, part of the reason you're poor is because of this crazy idea that in a previous life you're a really bad person. According to our likeness, let them... Key verse right there in a biblical worldview. Let them. Notice he doesn't say let us. <laughs> let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth, over all the earth. <laughs> and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, then God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. 
Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every cattle, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. So he's putting this fast bunch of things happening here that is really powerful. Uh, Number one, you'll see there that God's desire is not to start a religion. It's to establish a kingdom. God is not interested in religion, neither is the world. He's very interested, though, in establishing his kingdom, extending his unseen world into the seen world called earth. He puts man as his steward, but here's the key part of man. He's given something that is extremely powerful, and it's called the gift of choice. Choice is so powerful that it actually negates the will of God in your life if you choose it. He'll do everything he can. He'll, you know, really, like, you know, especially if you've got people praying for it, it's going to be really hard to do it. But you can actually override the purpose of God by your choices. So he makes man his steward. He makes man his representative. The closest thing to God on the planet before the fall was supposed to be Adam. When you saw Adam, you saw what God would do. Adam was created to be an ambassador. What's an ambassador? Ambassador go to other countries now. Sometimes I'll pass by the U.S. Embassy. An ambassador functioning properly, the job of an ambassador is to represent the interest of his country. And when an ambassador operates properly, if they go, what is your, what is your country's position on same, you know, what do you think about same-sex marriage? He never gives his personal opinion. He says, the position of my nation is this. He is representing the interest of the administration who has sent him. So Adam is there, and the other thing about Adam, Adam, because he's part, he's from ascending government, Adam was not, and you and I today are not created to take care of ourselves. Really, really big deal. That's a big one for America. I'm not going to do it. No, it doesn't work like that in the kingdom. When you came into the kingdom, he wanted to take completely res- complete responsibility for every part of your life. But you'll have to choose to lean into his resources. So this was the institution. In Genesis 2, you'll see, let's just read it because there's a really important history here. Genesis 2, verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is verse 4. In that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field was grown. Listen to me, Linda. Why is it not growing? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Man, was one of, the, one of your responsibilities as a believer is stewardship of the earth. It's one of the reasons, you might not want to hear this, but I'm right. It's one of the reasons God institutes the tithe, because he wants to know, can you, t- can you handle his stuff properly? Is not your tithe. I would say it's God's tithe and my offering. Because part of, part of that thing is, can you be a steward of what is only God's? So he puts man as steward of the earth. He creates heaven and earth, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Psalm 11 says he sets up his throne in heaven. 
and he makes him to have dominion in the earth, stewardship to be governed by revealed knowledge. So when Jesus comes, <laughs> finally going to get there, in Matthew 28, he is not introducing something entirely new to the world. He is reintroducing God's original tent, Malachi 3, I am God and I do not change. He's reintroducing what he already established in Genesis, the first chapter. Everything you see in Adam, everything you see in Jesus, God desired from Adam, with one exception. I don't know how God does this, but he's pretty brilliant, like he's beyond genius level. Adam did not need version 2.0. You should say amen to that. What God created was perfect from day one. Didn't need any improvement, didn't need any new download, no upgrades. But man got corrupted by believing the wrong voice. He reintroduces what he desired from the very beginning. Brings Jesus to earth. Difference between Jesus and Adam is for the first time in human history, God now lived in a man. He walked, he came upon Adam. It's clear Adam knew his voice because when he sins, he goes, he goes, where were you? Jesus comes to express what God originally intended for humanity. Jesus came as the perfect seed. Adam came perfect. How, did, how was Jesus? Jesus, like Adam, had a free choice. No one took his life from him. That's the beauty of Jesus. I give up my life willing. But then he says this. What does he say? He gives us the posture of what he wanted Adam. He goes, I do only what I see my father doing in heaven. And he's teaching us about how to think in the kingdom of God. Even though he had a choice, I mean, if there was anyone who could have left the church, it was Jesus. <laughs> they all had issues, even after three and a half years of going to the Jesus Christ School of Ministry. That's the beauty of Jesus. Any point he wants to, like, I'm out, Father. Can't do this. I only do what I see my Father is doing in heaven. My food is to do the will of my Father. What's he teaching us? He's teaching us how to think. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Mentioned it, John 8. I only, uh, uh, my, I, I learn the things from my Father and I only speak those things. So he's, he's part of discipleship is learning the knowledge of God through revealed knowledge. How did he know how to choose his disciples? He, the, Luke tells us he prays all night. The will of God was not automatic for Jesus. There's sometimes this, this kind of weird look at who Jesus didn't come and do magic when he came to earth. He's operating, he's choosing to operate as a man within the limitations of humanity. So now he is, this is the reason he's worthy to say this in Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee to a mountain which Jesus has appointed for him. It's very important because part of the purpose of prophetic words is for you to see higher to give you vision higher. So he's standing on a mountain 
to give them, it's a physical sign of the perspective he's trying to give them on the word he's giving them. And they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love this part because it teaches us that God doesn't tell you things when you think you're ready. <laughs> He's totally into telling people who are not doing well in the moment about their future. And Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority, I always say this, this is, in the moment is a prophetic word. If there was ever a word out of place, it would have been this one. He's standing with 11 guys, all of them left except John. In his moment of greatest need, they all failed the final exam of the Jesus Christ School of Ministry. Now he's before them. He goes, by the way, all authority, you know, they're, look what the Lord has done. Is that Jesus? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> I need to go listen to those Copeland tapes because I have no faith for this. You know, so some of you got that. But <laughs> and he stands up and gives this word. He's standing with 11 men. There is nothing in the natural about this word that they can go, oh, this is definitely going to happen. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. He's reinstituting Genesis 1, verse 26 through 29. Make disciples of all nations. Notice he doesn't say just make disciples of people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them all the things I have commanded to, to, to you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. This is, a, 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 in the moment, this remarkable prophetic word. Like, he's speaking to 11 guys, they're doubting, and then he teaches us something. So this is a prophetic word. Look at uh, Acts 1 now. Jesus is still with him. We know, by the way, just to note for you, that Jesus came and taught after he had, uh, after he had uh, resurrected from, from, from the dead. He, and he teaches. What does he teach? He teaches about the kingdom. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. I always say prophetic words are invitations to draw nearer to God. which he said, you have not heard from me, for John the baptized truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what's this an example of? This is an example. They got this word. We're going to go. We're going to toast it. Jesus has won the victory. Now we have authority. We can preach the gospel, blah, blah, blah. How do we do that? Uh, years ago, the, the Lord really helped me with this. <laughs> I was... I had a vision, um, would have been, I think, 2006, remarkable. It's about my life. This is some things that I'm going to do. It's like, it was like, whoa, that's really impossible. I've learned that's what it's like to walk with God. And, uh, you know, I got this thing written out about our ministry. We're going to do this, you know, strategic planning. <laughs> and I got this whole vision from the Lord, and, and, uh, and I'm like, how, where do you even start with this thing? And the Lord tells me, he goes, if you'll just stay in fellowship with me, everything you need to know, when you need to know it, I'll let you know. 
No, 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 it's got to, can I get like a Maxwell tape on how to start this thing? Like, come on. Is there some sort of conference I can go to get this thing rolling? You know? And then I'm having lunch with my pastor one day. And, uh, you know, I have my vision. But I want to ask him how I start to do my vision. So we get back to the church and I have my vision. I go, what do you think about this? And how do you think I should start this? And he goes, he wasn't very impressed. He threw it back at me. He goes, the Lord wants you to know everything you need to know, when you need to know it, you'll know it if you just stay in a posture of fellowship with him. Okay, I'm hearing you. So he tells him, though. And notice, too, that the door to this fulfillment is a place of fellowship and prayer. It's that fellowship, and he's also going to give them an encounter. I mean, we know, no, especially Pentecost, like we know, baptized, Holy Spirit, tongues, awesome. We know what happens, but he's actually telling them, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They have no idea what that means. Like people like, I, I just, you know, I know this is the Lord, but I don't understand. I said, welcome to walking with the Lord. It's not that he wants you ignorant. He just says things. That's what, I think that's one of the reasons he gives visions and dreams. Because you're like, I got to really lean into you, figure out this one. Here's what happens, though, in between. So they got this prophetic word, and then they got this other word that tells them this is going to be the path to take you there. Acts 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, number, names was about 120. They said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. Notice, too, you'll also notice in the life of the primitive church how important scripture and prophecy is to them. Men and brethren, this scripture has to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in his ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with wages of iniquity, falling headlong, and he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. <laughs> the Bible is very plain sometimes. And it became known to all those in the dwelling Jerusalem that so the field is called in their own language, Akal, which is the field of the blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let this dwelling place be desolate and no one, no one live in it and let another take his office. I want you to notice what's happening here. So they got this prophetic word and Peter, who's an apostle, he is giving administration to how this word is going to be fulfilled. Apostles help to give administration to prophetic words. Not voting. It's not that certain people are better than other people. It's just certain people are gifted to guide the church and where God wants to go. And just because you give a lot of money doesn't mean you're gifted to be an elder in the church. You might be, but you might not be. It's God who calls those in the church. Jesus did not take a vote on who the 12 apostles of the Lamb should be. What do you think? What do you think? Well, you know, he's got some training. You know, He's done an internship, and he's good. It's God who chooses by the voice of the Lord. So we want to do things God's way. Do we get the mind? It doesn't mean we don't listen to counsel or anything like that. But anyway, I'm just going to keep going. 
Therefore, of these things, of men who accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went up and among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of them must become a witness with us of his re resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barnabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and they said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell that he might go to his own place, and they cast their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Why do I make that point? Because he says it's necessary. So I want to suggest, and there is something with numbers in Scripture. He puts an apostolic government in place before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, because true apostolic ministry is what is able to sustain the wineskin of a sustained outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But notice, they don't forsake the place of prayer because they receive, that's why fellowship with God is so important, because often it's in the place of prayer that he releases power unto you and gives you strategy. And this is the reason this is really important. This is a season of divine strategy for the people of God to fulfill words given years ago. So the Holy Spirit is poured out. And notice what Peter says. Peter is the apostle. He stands up. He gives the first sermon of the New Testament church. We said last night, the words that come out of his mouth, it's the same language used when they spoke in other tongues. So he's speaking with authority on the words he speaks. And he connects Joel 2. He says, this is that which Joel spoke. What's really interesting is, Joel does not prophesy about tongues. He just prophesies about the coming of the Spirit. And you'll see a theme in Acts 11, or, or a constant theme in the life of the early church, where the church is responding to to prophecy, Acts eleven twenty seven and verse 30. In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Holy Spirit there's going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And the disciples, each of them, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Jerusalem. This they also did and sent it by the elders, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they respond immediately to the word of the Lord. It's how prophecies integrated the life of the early community. Divine revelation led to Paul and Barnabas being sent out. Now in the church, Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Often you see those two work together. Really important. You often see their operation together. You see it commonly. You saw it through Brother Hagen. You see it through Brother Copeland in the Word of Faith movement. Prophets and teachers. In Brother Robert's ministry, you were not allowed many times to receive prayer for healing unless you received instruction from a teacher about healing scriptures. They would teach you about healing being in the atonement because what did they want to do? They wanted to build your faith that when Brother Roberts laid hands on you, he was simply the point of contact and you knew that you knew that you knew it was the will of God for you to be healed. 
So they saw a greater release of the miraculous. That's how the fivefold functions together. Barnabas and Simon, who called Niger, Lewis, a man who had been, uh, been brought up with, with Herod and Tetrarch, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted. We need more people ministering to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, Holy Spirit said, <laughs> I'll keep that, I'll leave that alone. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Notice too, though, it also forbids Acts 16, verse 6. Now when they had gone through Ferga to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. But Jesus told them to go into all the world. But wait a minute. Which one's true? They're both true. But they're not true in that season for those guys. That's why the enemy fights teaching people to hear his voice, revealed knowledge. So you'll see the intersection between apostolic and prophetic in the life of the church. Now, here's another characteristic of an apostolic church, and we'll land the plane here, sort of. Look at Acts 3. Now certain, now, excuse me, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour. Notice that they're people of prayer. You can't separate talking to God from the life of the church. One of the, one of the fruits that you're intentional in your fellowship with God is what you're saying is you need God. It's actually what you're saying. When you say, I don't have time to do this, what you're saying is, I think I can better manage my life without God. You're like, I'm really busy. I know, that's the problem. You're really busy. That is the problem. You're really busy. Well, you know, I got to do what I got to do. I I know, that's the problem. You're doing what you have to do. Now, together, I keep going here. Certain layman from his mother's womb was, was carried, and they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms? A lot of commentators, even uh, some commentaries, believe that this guy probably had even been around during the ministry of Jesus because he'd been around a while, but this is the day he's going to get healed. And fixing his eyes on with him, John and Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Oh, he's going to get something. I love that. Contend to give some, 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 something to someone every day that they never thought they would get. He's thinking money, and God wants to give him deliverance from all his money issues. Silver and gold I do not have, but I, what I do have, I give to you. I love that. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him up by the right bones and lifted him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles and bones received strength. And so leaping up, he stood up and walked and entered with the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God, then they knew it was him who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. 
So obviously, major healing, everybody knows. But they get in trouble for doing this stuff. Look at Acts 4. So they want him to stop. Acts 4, verse 8. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, Rules the people and the elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has made been well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I can tell Peter saying that, because he wanted, wanted like, hey, by the way, you're the, you're the one who killed him. <laughs> whom God raised from the dead, by him his, this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief's cornerstone. And there is salvation in no other, and there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. So I, I'm, I'm reading this because I want, to, I want, to, want you to know that it's not all Santa Claus when you do the works of the Lord. You'll get persecuted for doing what the Lord told you to do. But part of apostolic people and apostolic grace is you'll notice that they don't back away. They don't go, hey, maybe we can like, like, you know, like we'll have like a side room where we bring people to do healing. We don't have to do it in the marketplace like that. You know, it's very upsetting for people and they've asked us not to do this. So maybe if we put it like on the side where no one sees it, and guys, can you put together a committee of how we can be most relevant to the world around us? What they do do though is go back to the place of prayer and ask God for more power. One of the characteristics of apostolic people and apostolic communities is they don't turn back from the word of the Lord. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter who shows up, because the goal is not a lot of people. Most true apostles are not looking for the big crowd. They're like, give me 50 who will listen to what I have to say and we'll change a city. God's not opposed to crowds. But what's very interesting is Jesus did not change the world through 10,000 people. He ministered to the multitudes but he discipled 12 and then 72. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. There's a great call upon this house to stay the path. I see this picture, and I see this picture, and it's like, it's like Jesus, and he's got this hammer, and he's been hammering down one foundation of this church. 
He's been working really hard to build the foundation of the church. Then now he's at another part of the foundation. He's, it's like four corners of this foundation. Then he's pounding the other part of the foundation. And the Lord says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Precept upon precept. And the Lord says, there is a prevailing word. There's a prevailing word that I'm releasing to the people here at Canvas, even in this season. There's a prevailing truth, and there's a prevailing blueprint from heaven that I want to give you to build in the timing and the seasons of the Lord. I want, I want to build this house to be an international center for the nations of the earth. I want to build it to build a prophetic people, an apostolic people, a praying people, a people who know how to know the voice of God, a people who release people into freedoms. There's a grace, says the Lord, coming on this house to set the captives free as never before. A delivering power to set people of years of oppression and demonic possession over people. And they'll come, Shekhamohaya, They'll come from hundreds of miles away and they'll say, we've heard this is the house where we can get free. This will be a house of freedom. Freedom. I see people when they, they step, their, their, their feet step through the threshold of this sanctuary, complete deliverance will come upon them. And their whole generational line would come into alignment. And the Lord says, in this season of 2020, I want you to amplify the worship in this house. I want you to amplify the prayer in this house. I want you to join the prophets and the seers that you'll join together as one and declare what I am saying in that moment. The Lord says, you cannot go beyond the foundation of prayer and intercession and fellowship. For one of the marks of this house will be a people who do know their God a people who do know their God. The Lord says, raise up a people who do know their God. Raise up a people who do know their God. The Lord says, raise up a people who do know their God. And as you raise up and build and build and build people, build people, build people, build people, build people, says the Lord. Build people, says the Lord. Hamahaya. Build people, says the Lord. Build people, says the Lord. Build people, says the Lord. Build people. Build strong people. Build people of all races and economic backgrounds. And the Lord says, if you'll build people, I'll bring them. I'll bring them in the hundreds. 300, 500, 600, 750. I'll bring them from the hundreds. I see the river of God going from this place to up to 100 miles out. You'll know, they'll sense part of the river that's flowing in this place. And the Lord says, if you'll build people, I'll release a roar through the people. I'll release a roar through the people. I'll release a roar through the people in this room that the ground underneath will roar and the lion of the tribe of Judah will gain ground. The Lord says, I have not chose you because of anything special or peculiar about you. I've chosen you because I have a divine plan for this region. And there were some that built but did not stay the course. There were some that started but missed the course. There were some that started and stayed with traditions and ways of man because people said, that's just too much. We can't go there. 
but I'm giving you apostolic blueprints from, 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 from long ago to build for the purposes of God. And I found a place, I found a place, and I found elders who would say yes, 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 to run with the purposes of God. The Lord says, build the intercession, build the worship, because even criticism will come and judgments will come. And the Lord says, they're not going to come from the world system. They'll actually come from other believers who will cast judgment and dispersions on what I'm doing here. But the Lord says, you stay the course. You stay the course. You stay the course. The Lord says, I do not want a religious spirit or a spirit of accusation or a spirit of judgment to stop the purposes of God. I'm investing, Hamashaka, too much into the purpose of what I want to do inside of here to stop it. And it'll be like a Holy Spirit train. It's just chugging along now. But when it really builds up speed, it will redefine the environment of everything in it. And the Lord says, if you'll stay the course, I'll give you influence in government. I'll give you influence in the high places, in this region, not only in this region, but in this nation to legislate the will and the purposes of the Lord. And I want to make you a sign. I want to make you a sign, says the Lord. I want to make you a sign of what it looks like for one body, one people to come together and be a blessing and advance the kingdom of God. Pastor Rich, the Lord says, I'm going to teach you about the ways of the kingdom of God as never before. I'm going to teach you about the operation of the kingdom. I'm going to teach you what it looks like to express the kingdom, and you will be a kingdom people. This will be a house called kingdom life, life in the kingdom, life of coming together, coming together despite different ideas, despite political persuasions, but you'll come together as one body for the purposes of the Lord. And the Lord says, as you build people, I'll draw the musicians, I'll draw the creative types, I'll even draw young millennials to come because they will say, this is a place we know that we found God. A harvest. A harvest, believe me for the harvest. Don't just believe me, but I want to give you strategic ideas, strategic understanding of how to go get the harvest, creative ideas, outreaches. I don't know, I see like this, this food truck just out there and just ministering to people, coffee and different things, just creative ideas. And the Lord says, go, go to the least among them. Go to the least among them. Go to the least among them. Go to where they are. Minister to where they are. There is a grace being released in this community of people to go, to go, to go, to go, to go. I see this picture of Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus. But he's got the face of a lion. And I believe it represents prophetically that he wants to roar through the people of God here as never before. And the Lord says, I roar through people who understand the synchronization of heaven and earth. And the Lord says, this is a critical season. And this will be a season, says the Lord, when 2020 began. Hamahayabu shahatamakaya. The Lord says, when the calendar year turned over into 2020, a door in heaven was opened for the people of God in America. It's a door of outpouring. 
You'll see. You'll see my glory. You'll see my power come to obscure places, to people who've stayed the course, to faithful people. But the Lord says it's not just an open heaven and gathered community. It's an open heaven for my people. The Lord says this will be a season where the faithful of God flourish. This will be a season where abundance is my people's portion. This will be a season of advancement and breakthrough into the purposes of God. The Lord says, watch what comes out of your mouth. For my angels are on assignment to move and to operate, to hearken according to the word of the Lord. So the Lord says, guard your heart with all diligence. The Lord says, if you're stuck and bound by any sin or iniquity, there's a power to deliver you of every evil work. And there's a cleansing, the Lord says. There's a cleansing coming to the body of Christ. There's a cleansing. There's a cleansing power. Did I not say I would baptize my people with the Holy Spirit and fire? There's a fire of cleansing coming. And there's messengers coming from my pulpit. The Lord says, I'm no longer going to tolerate humanism and the ways of man to be spoken. And I'm going to expose ungodliness. I'm going to expose it at high levels inside the body of Christ because I've given, I've given opportunity for many leaders to repent, the Lord says. But the Lord says, I desire true messengers with the fear of the Lord and whose eyes are focused on the beauty of the Lord. And there's a divine alignment coming from pulpits. And there's going to be judgment released from pulpits, says the Lord. Godly judgment and precepts that when these prophets, men and women, speak, it will actually release judgment so that people would be saved, so that cleansing would come. The Lord says the fear of the Lord is coming back to the church in America as never before. Godly fear, healthy fear for the beauty of my name. But the Lord says I'm giving grace in this season for my people to position themselves to receive and to enter into that season. The Lord says my desire has been to unlock heaven even for many, many years. But the Lord says my people have not been positioned correctly. And much destruction would have come. But the Lord says, this is a season where I'm releasing godly, righteous judgments from the pulpits in America so that America would become the sleeping giant would awake and awaken the corporate man. That is my desire for this season, the awakening of the corporate man so that people would come under the influence of my son as never before, that people would be accurate representations of my son, that there would not be a subculture of Christianity in this nation, but there would actually be authentic kingdom demonstration of who I am. For when people see me, they see the desire of the nations. Sikamokaya. The Lord says the harvest is linked to my people accurately representing me. I hear 
the most beautiful sounds being released through the people of God this time. I see stadiums being filled with people worshiping the Lord. The Lord says, I, I, I just see the corporate man arising. Lord, let the corporate man arise in America as never before. And I'm admonishing, says the Lord, my people, to pray for your president. The Lord says, I'm holding the people of God responsible to pray for the president. The Lord says, the destiny of this nation hangs in the balance according to the co-laboring prayers of my people over your president. Guard your mouth of what you say. Guard your mouth in this season. For much witchcraft and destruction has tried to come to that man. And the Lord says, I'm holding my people responsible to be watchmen, to steward the purposes of God, to be established through what I desired through his presidency. For truly, there's been a dividing spirit that tried to come even to the people of God. And the Lord said, Hamahashokamakaya. The Lord says, release judgments you have in your heart towards other believers and unify around the purposes that I'm establishing in this nation and through this president. Pray against assassination attempts. Shokomokoyo. Pray against lying spirits that would give advice and wisdom. Pray for wisdom for him. Pray for the salvation of his wife and his children. Shemokaya masika mahaya. Shokomoyo mo shokomoyo bokoyo mo shokomoyo. Mandabahaya masika baya. The Lord says, I've chosen him as a reformational candidate to bring a shift and a change in this nation that could not be achieved any other way. 